From Chagdagumpa Riggs and Lane, this is Listen, Contemplate, Meditate, a podcast featuring a range of teachings from the Buddhist tradition presented by Lamas of Chagdagumpa Foundation. Our website is chagdagumpa.org. become familiar, more and more familiar with the contemplations of precious human birth and applying that to our own particular circumstance, our own particular life, we might, uh, I'd say, we should land at a place where we feel that, uh, have this feeling that finally we have arrived at what we've been longing for, for so long, a precious uh, a human life. should feel that, oh, Finally, I've attained what I've always been longing for, which is a precious human birth, because with a precious human birth, I can do so much that I couldn't do in other life uh, forms. Other life forms are very limited. They're karmically, they're, they're very limited. As we know, animals are so instinctual. They don't have the cognitive uh, setup to be able to be introspective, to be uh, sort of have this, uh, to have a universal feeling. They have their own instinctual, how do I say, they want to get away from suffering. Beings, all beings want to avoid suffering. So, as a Dharma practitioner, just wanting to become free of suffering is not that big of a deal. All, everybody wants to be free of suffering. Uh, it's the way they go about doing it that separates, or that distinguishes, I should say, distinguishes a a Dharma practitioner with understanding of causation. Uh, Animals, and I say animals because they're the ones we can see. We can't see these, you know, God realms and hell realms and so forth. So uh, even how much more so for those realms, but even those sort of what we think of as like intelligent animals the ones that prowl around on the earth, the surface of the earth, are dogs and cats and guinea pigs and whatnot. Uh, They'll always be dogs. Dogs will always think like dogs, no matter how uh, cool they are, you know, no matter how much we think that they're great beings, that the great bodhisattvas incarnated to make me and my f- friends happy. But they'll still think like a dogs. They don't think, what do we say, outside the box of being who they are, their karmic prison. You know? And we have our karmic prison, our claustrophobic experience that we can't easily uh, go beyond without some help, without some guidance, then we can begin to see, oh, I can go beyond my inherited limitations. And so this, that's why it's called a precious human body. You could say body or birth, precious human body, really. That this mind, and this body have come together. And for whatever reason, that circumstance is what it takes 
to become liberated from causation, to become free of the uh, confines of, of this net of causation. And it happens uh, not through anything to do with causation. It happens because of the quality of that mind. When we say in this uh, prayer, uh, this Vajra siblings prayer, you know, equality, equalness. Equalness means that every sentient being has as their, uh, like the, um, how do we say, um, might sound funny, but the, the normal mind of every single sentient being is wisdom with a core of compassion. Every single being has that normal mind, nature, na their nature is that way. Normal, I mean, before karma has its way, before there's this split into self and other. That split into self and other is a habit that defines a sentient being. It's not the true nature of the mind of all beings. So, when we uh, talk about, say, bodhicitta, bodhicitta, this aspiration bodhicitta is committing ourselves, like the vow of bodhicitta is committing ourselves to the goal, enlightenment, to the goal. This uh, engaging bodhicitta is committing ourselves to the path to that goal. So it's a difference between an aspiration bodhicitta is we're oriented towards the, the fruition of enlightenment. I, I promise myself in front of all these Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, in front of all sentient beings, I promise to attain enlightenment. That's aspiration bodhicitta. And then this engaging bodhicitta is, I promise to engage in the path of awakening, the path, the cause of the goal. So in one sense, this relative bodhicitta is uh, committing yourself, aspiration is committing yourself to the goal, and uh, engaging bodhicitta is committing yourself to the path, the effect and the cause. The result of actions is enlightenment. The cause of enlightenment is the path. Is that clear? So these two kinds of bodhicitta. This is a third bodhicitta, not say third bodhicitta, but then absolute bodhicitta is realizing, not let's say, let's not over, overstate, not realizing, it's having mm, the view that my mind has this wisdom nature that at its core is compassion. And that's the nature of all sentient beings. And like adhering, adhering to that, upholding that view is, absolute bodhi, is the path of absolute bodhicitta. Always aware that your absolute nature is not that far away and that that absolute nature is the nature of the mind of all beings, animals and whatnots. When you have that view, then the compassion immediately becomes all-pervasive. It's not reactionary compassion, oh, these poor things, this happened, and all oh, these poor victims, and this and that. It's always present because you're aware that beings don't realize it. And it's not that far away. You know, it is the normal mind of all sentient beings. The ordinary mind. 
we say different words for that, like the, the way of abiding. It's just the natural way that mind is before it creates its own uh, mistake. Just like the um, space and the sun shining it creates the clouds. It's like the sun creates its own obscuration just through interdependence. The interdependence of its warmth and the, the, the what do you call it, the ocean, the water and so forth. And it creates the clouds that, that obscures it from us. So not to stretch that example too far, but in similarly, we have this wisdom, timeless awareness, Yeshe, this timeless awareness. And from the Mahayana point of view, the path is one of uh, uh, removing the obscurations to that timeless awareness. Realizing timeless awareness is Buddhahood. It's, 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 it's our own mind's ordinary nature before it got confused. And it's just like a, like a beggar who, or a poor person who, who props their door open with a rock that's unrefined gold. And every day they go out begging and complain and complaining and hungry all the time and irritated and in a bad mood and so forth because of their unhappiness and poverty. And they have this rock holding their door open that's actually, uh, what would that be called, ore, gold ore, you know? And they have no way of knowing their wealth that they already own. That's us, we have this Yeshe, we have this timeless awareness that is our uh, timeless nature, which is um, has at its core uh, um, all-pervasive compassion. And until we realize it, we don't really fully appreciate it. We can talk. So with this, when this we learn, we can. Uh, uh, this is the distinction. This is what creates a precious human being. Is someone who appreciates that that idea resonates with them, and then then that's a precious human birth. This appreciation of our you know, Mahayana, they say Buddha nature, but but to say it's that our own ordinary mind is Buddhahood. And how do we realize it is? We need to first have heard that and have it resonate with us in some fashion. Then you can say, oh, I've yearned and worked very hard for lifetimes to have gotten to the place where I am right now. Finally, I've attained this precious human birth, which is a, the perfect, the perfect working basis for revealing that nature. And by revealing that nature, then I can manifest my actions and my activities will actually benefit others. No matter what it is, it will be of benefit to others. That is to say, it will not just make people happy like philanthropic work, but it will actually move people onto the path of their own awakening. That's the the distinction Buddha activity is, is, is moving someone onto that path of awakening. Even if a bodhisattva, you know, like assaults and beats up somebody, 
that connection puts them on the path of awakening. You know? So anyway, that's, that's not, I don't mean that. But, uh, so this quality of, of feeling that you've been working really diff- hard to achieve this precious human birth, we should fe- try to uh, uh, foster that feeling. Because it did take, we know in our own lives, how easy it is to be uh, negative, mentally, verbally, and through actions, being careless or just outright you know, aggressive and so forth. But it's really difficult to go against the stream, so to speak. And that's what it takes to have achieved what we have, all the neurological and, and uh, systematic systemic qualities of a human birth that's, that's a little bit more complex. We might think in one way that, God, being a human is a pain in the neck. There's so many different things going on, you know. Uh, but it takes th- that kind of a, a being to be able to fully implement, or if we fully implement all the qualities of this complex human existence, we can attain enlightenment in one, in a single lifetime. You know, there are teachings that match our situation. So I suggest then, when you're contemplating all the different features of this precious human body as a contemplation, one of our most foundational contemplations as a practitioner, and really try to emotionally feel enthusiastic that, oh, God, I've been yearning and striving to achieve what I've now achieved for a long, long time. That's one. Two, then, is also with that uh, enthusiasm and, and confidence and... Uh, appreciation of what you do have, then we need to be a little unnerved and insecure about, you know, with that stability of that purpose, then we also then need to, inf- to become very insecure about its longevity. Because when we look around, even in this glorious, auspicious environment, practically everything that you see in this room could be the cause of your death. Something could fall, you know, it happens every day, basically, you know. Even the smallest thing, like, it could, you know, can cause asphyxiation or gagging or, you know, you can gag and choke to death on a Soak blade, you, these, these Rice Krispies sticky things and the mochi, we don't have mochi, you know, we, we, there's all kinds of things that every little thing could kill us. A stick of incense, we could fall on, go up our nose and create havoc and cause the beginning of a, of a downward cycle and it would be over. So really thinking about those two points of impermanence, how the the, what supports life is there's very few things that actually support life and many things that uh, cause death comparatively. I mean, add it up. It's sort of a, of a spreadsheet sort of idea. You know, how many things actually uh, prolong and support life and how many things will terminate life? And how many of those things that actually support life can very easily become the cause of death? Then we become uh, not complacent because we need to use this life uh, straight away, not procrastinate, not put off until better, better times, or oh, I'll, I'll have more time later. 
I'll have more time tonight, you know, when I'm done working, uh, you know. We have to learn to simultaneously do things. I don't know about multitasking, something. See, people can multitask, you know. So when the cats are prowling for birds and mice, they're not multitasking, I don't think, because you can sneak up on them and they won't know. But uh, humans can multitask. We can be doing one thing and thinking of something else. Quite creative, you know, like bodhicitta. We can be praying or or reciting or or having some mantra that directs us towards our some true, some uh, uh, ultimate aspect of our experience. You know, we can do many things at the same time. Uh, uh, so, uh, so we should. We have to train to do that. It's not something that necessarily we won't. We won't remember to do it because we get absorbed in what we're doing, which means that we're absorbed in our perceptions our perceptions, this, the holes in our head and the, the way our skin feels. So we have to train to, okay, I'm going to do this um, and then I'm going to be introspective, basically. I'm going to be vi- vigilantly introspective about what's going on in my mind and notice, is my mind on the path or is it not? Is it, is it creating virtue? Or is it creating non-virtue? Or is it just not doing anything? Which is actually a form of, uh, we, we don't have to say it's non-virtue, but if your mind isn't, if you don't, if you notice that your mind isn't doing something, we have to say then that it's still attached. It's still clinging to the feeling of an I. Therefore, it's still creating karma that binds us to cyclic existence. We're still being conditioned. Our mind is still being conditioned even if we look and look and look and don't find any positive or negative thoughts, there's still a clinging that binds us to confusion. So, and especially in the Mahayana, if it's not, uh, if our thoughts aren't aimed towards awakening, then it's considered a, a negative. There's no neutral neutral spot. So we can do that, and then impermanence is what fuels that, that urge, that thing. Oh, I need to really look at my mind now, because time is short. We have uh, habits, and we, as long as we have this dualistic uh, mindset, we need to create habits that will promote our own liberation, liberation from our own projections. So we should notice, are we on that path or are we just self-absorbed? And then change. And that, that introspection and that will force, the power to, 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 oh, to wake up, you know, like mini wake up and, and and catch yourself. Uh, it takes it takes a, it takes power, and that power comes from understanding impermanence. Almost we we're, we're uh, uh, it's it's a form of like a, a self self terror terror terror. We get scared because oh, I was mindless. You know, I had no idea, and, and we get that kind of scared. Oh, I've just been uh, just complacent. So this impermanence has a very broad usage, and it's in, it, it appeal. It works. I don't know about instinctually. Maybe a little instinctually, 
impermanence. But some someplace it works in a, in not just gross decision-making ways, but spontaneously. Our understanding of impermanence spontaneously makes us not want to do certain things that that won't promote uh, awakening. This impermanence. Life is very short, even if it's as long as it could be, it's still short. Uh, and when you more and more are introspective and see the habits, the samsaric habits of our mind, it's going to take time. And we don't have to think that, oh, I have to untangle every single uh, neurotic concept. That's not the case. One, one or two glimpses of, our, of this absolute nature does the trick. It exhausts a, a, a huge amount of that, of that habit. So the path, the Dharma practice path, is not just this grueling, day after day after day of like pressing into the winds of samsara, you know. Uh, but there's breaks that inspire us to, to move forward because we've, we've seen something of our own mind. Because it's not that far away, just like the, the beggar, the pauper with the uh, gold ore, uh, doorstop. Uh, somebody could come along if he's lucky, if she's lucky. They say, you know, I had a, a thing like that holding my door open, and and somebody who knew told me what to do with that, and now I'm I'm on the gravy train. <laughs> you know? so those are that's called the auspicious meeting. Then uh, this causation process that we're uh, enmeshed in, even though we have this, we could say, uh, like there's n- there's no more. Mm, our mind doesn't need to be any more awake than it is right now. It doesn't. It doesn't need to be any more Buddhahood than it is right now. It doesn't have to be any more compassionate than it is right now. It only needs to be paid attention to. But because of our uh, karma, we don't. We can't. We don't know how. Even if we knew how, we, we couldn't pay attention to it because our ordinary, karmically driven, conditioned, dualistic mind can't, can't see or can't appreciate or can't realize the nature of the owner of that karma. It can't. It doesn't work that way. It only comes from realizing that's self, that's why we say self-knowing awareness. Only awareness can know awareness. This kind of non-dualistic awareness. It's not an object that our dualistic mind can appreciate as a subject. It only works the other way around. Our wisdom nature permeates all of our experience. Just like the rays of the sun cover the whole earth, the rays are going out. I don't know if this is a good... We don't want to know... The rays of the sun are going out. They don't go back into the sun. They can't see the sun. 
We can't see the sun. We can spend our whole life and never really get a direct look at the sun. If we do, then we go blind. So it's so interesting, isn't it? In the same way, we can't see our mind's nature. Because we're all, it's all about what's being illuminated by it. That's our, we're consumed by that, our perception of everything that's being illuminated by our, our wisdom and compassionate nature. And we're lost in that. Sometimes good days, sometimes bad days, sometimes this, sometimes that. Everything is, you know, so annoyingly connected karmically, you know, and, The more you think about karma, the more you wish there was just such a thing as luck. <laughs> you know? But everything is interdependent. That means that everything has a relationship with everything else, regardless of distance. Yeah? Doesn't matter how far away things are, they could be affecting you. Or time, far away in time, still affecting you. I got this letter last the other week I was talking about this a person uh, uh, we brought her into our house, gave her place to stay. We did practice together for many months. She stayed and like that, she sent a donation here, like 35, 40 years later, saying, oh, I just saw Chakta Rinpoche's a book at a, she does hospice work, and she saw this, one of Chakta Rinpoche's books, and she thought of that, she thought about the Chakta Gompa in Seattle, and then she sent a $500 donation to the Gompa to support the activities, you know, like that. You know? There's those things that have happened, because uh, we haven't died. You know, things happen to us in this life because we haven't died. Like we're trying to find a place to sleep up where we're going to get some some things up in the BC next week. And this person says, oh, I remember I stayed at your place like 40 years ago. So stay at our place now. You know? So if we if if you die, if you die, those same karma is still there. You want oh why you know why did this why does your little you know first grader you know I'm in first grade and somebody gives me half their peanut butter sandwich you know why do they do that you know some karmic some karma you know everything is still connected. Time doesn't doesn't uh, exhaust things. If time just exhausted things, we could just hang out. It doesn't work that way. So uh, we should really pay attention to our present, our present actions, because the, the, the results of our present thoughts will have to mature as an experience. And we say, it says that actions regarding the, the results of actions, actions proliferate, which means they become greater. The results of an action are always greater than the cause. The effect of an action is always greater than the cause like a spark causing a forest fire. That's an example, like that. So, and that coupled with the, uh, the other aspect of the science of karma is that uh, physical and verbal actions are secondary, actually. The main experience of the, res uh, 
the main the, the, yeah, the main the dominant experience of the results of an action come about physically verbally or mentally as a result of the mind of the doer of me as the doer the, the, the intention, the motivation, the frame of mind a person has when they perform an action, good or bad, that mind is what creates the principal experience of the result. Killing as a negative action, it's going to have a negative result. What kind of a negative result? depends on the mind. If somebody kills in order to protect somebody, if somebody kills out of hatred, if somebody kills to prevent something from happening that would have been worse, you know, so all of the chemistry of, of, the, of the mind that killed is actually the main determinant, determinator of what the effect of that action will be. You pick up an apple and you throw it at a cat, hit it in the head, or you're just walking along, you pick up and you toss it up in the air absentmindedly and it falls down and, and hits the cat on the head. The same act from the cat's point of view, uh, but the result Oh, the karma, the result of the karma of the, of the doer is going to be different. So we really need to watch our mind. And if we're doing, if we're forced through circumstances to have to do some negative action, then we should be aware of it and understand that an action is, uh, doesn't exist as some independent, autonomous thing, but that an action is composed of parts, just like my body is composed of parts. An action is composed of parts. There's an intention, there's an object to, to uh, perform towards that intention, uh, there's a means to do it, and there's the actual execution of it. You want to uh, help somebody create virtue, you have an intention. So then you have, you, you have a, see somebody some on the highway, or some on the, with the sign, off-ramps, you know, uh, cardboard people, and oh, there's a person I can give something to. And then you have a dollar or a fig bar or whatever the heck, you know. And then you give it with a, with a uh, good intention. Then that action's accomplished. If any of those parts are missing, then it's not fully, then the full result of that action won't be experienced, just partial. So if you have to do something harmful through, because of your circumstances, then appreciate that and change your intention. Confess, pray, you know, change your mind as you're doing and dedicate, the, dedicate, uh, dedicate your uh, actions to the enlightenment of all beings. The samsara is not a place to go to just become scot-free of negative karma. It's, it doesn't happen here. You can't walk across the grass without impinging on somebody's living space or their life, you know, or whatnot. So we, we can't, the purpose is uh, Dharma practice doesn't mean uh, becoming uh, someone who does not uh, do negative things. You know, it's just life. We can't 
It's like a Sakya Pandita said, oh, what is samsara? Oh, samsara is a place where you go to create bad karma. That's the definition of this samsara. As long as our mind is conditioned, it's, it's going to create bad karma. Even if you're only practicing purity, like some, you know, like a Jains or something where they sweep the ground before they take a step and sweep and then clump this metal, this metal thing with the chains on it, boom, all the insects go, take another step, have a mask over their face so they don't breathe, it's insects. And so even if you maintain absolute purity, you still have attachment. Your still mind is still habitually clinging to the idea of a self. Dharma practice is not to uh, purify samsara. Samsara is unpurifiable because it's a projection of dualistic mind. Trying to discover our non-dualistic nature. That's that's all. That's all we're trying to do is discover our non-dualistic nature, which is our absolute, absolute nature, the absolute truth. So this, uh, karmically, we should harness karma. Then there's a fourth, is uh, the unsatisfactory nature of conditioned existence, which I'm referring to already. And the way to, oh, this karma, we should... Like I said, with the precious human birth, we should feel excited to have finally achieved what we've been longing for, this precious human birth. Impermanence should become a little uncertain, kind of not so uh, cocky, not so confident, not so, it should become kind of un- unstable and uncertain through impermanence. Then a karma, we should be uh, be very clear and, and determined and confident that there is such a thing as cause and effect. So that karma is something that we have to convert ourselves to always, more and more. Impermanence, that is pretty, uh, it's everywhere. You know, and we can, you know, anybody can understand impermanence to some extent for some period of time. A karma, it's a very, we can't see it. So for rational people like us, it's more challenging. So, but if the more you pay attention to it, the more obvious it becomes. So, Karmic, we should try to be very confident in our understanding of karma, our belief in karma. Then this uh, unsatisfactory nature of samsara means, samsara means conditioned, conditioning. We're conditioned. That's what means samsara. That's what samsara means, is that a mind that's conditioned and a fundamental condition is duality. I'm conditioned to feel that I own this body. Somebody in here owns this body, and this body experiences itself in a big environment that I also own. What I see, I own everything I see. I own everything I hear, everything I taste and smell. I have this feeling of ownership. I'm the landlord of the universe, kind of, you know. And I understand to some extent that you're also the owner of your universe. And I'll give you some space, just give me space to indulge in this delusion. You know, don't undermine my feeling that I'm in the middle of my own universe. That's then... I'll have an aversion for you. And if you support me in my delusion, then you'll be part of my group. <laughs> and together we will rule. 
our, our universe. Yeah, this is it. You know? You know, the, 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 the theatrics of that have, that's basically what's been going on. There's different, you know, versions of that, different iterations of that, but that's what it is. And that's, that's a, con we're conditioned that way. It's a conditioning process. And so, uh, encountering the path of the Dharma, taking refuge in the Three Jewels and uh, in the possibility of awakening from that, and that there is a method, there are methods to uh, affect that awakening, and that it's being done, that there's this historical uh, process of humans who are involved in that, that's the purpose of, of the Three Jewels. The purpose of the Dharma is to uh, wake up from that conditioning process. And it doesn't happen by uh, just reconditioning. It happens again by appreciating, theor uh, e even theoretically, rationally, or experientially, or through realization of this uh, wisdom nature of our own mind. Uh, samsara will not, it doesn't have a, a way out of its own. Like, just like when we dream at night, there's no sort of press the, you know, tap on the button in the lower right hand corner and this dream will end. There's no done button on our dreams, you know, they just play out. You know, one changes to another, to another, to another. The only way to become free of dreams is to wake up, which is not in the realm of a dream, typically. Dreams are just dreams. They're our mind's experience under the influence of sleep. And that's all it is. There's no when we wake up, we realize that uh, we were in bed the whole time, laying down there. The pillows there, covers are there. There was no cliffs, there was no motorcycle gangs, there were no explosions, there were no, you know, buildings, there were no curbs and things, all those things. We, there was none of that. It was all just a very real feeling at the time. And Buddha said, that's the way you feel now when you're awake. You feel the same way. You feel that, well, this is real now. And when we dream at night, we think, oh, this is real now. So there's another waking up to be done. And that won't happen unless we realize the shortcomings of this cycle of happy-sad one minute we're happy, the next minute we're sad. One day we're happy, the next day we're sad. The next, you know, this endless uh, uh, revolving experience of ups and downs. You know, pleasure, pain, success, failure. Nothing's stable. Everything's always changing. And we're just sort of victims, in a sense. We pretend and try to feel as though we are affecting our own experience, but it's questionable what percentage we're actually doing because of karma. But this samsara is, uh, we should uh, really uh, focus on the shortcomings when we focus on the uh, benefits of samsara, how great samsara is, uh, we can, uh, it, it can be dangerous. It can, it can make us forget the downside 
And the point isn't to only be concerned with the downside. The point is to only be concerned with how it goes around and around. How one, how, how it's good and bad alternate. How pleasure and pain alternate. That, having that vision. Of course, everybody likes to be happy. It would be kind of neurotic to think, oh, you shouldn't think about things when you're happy. It's, it's, it's really going to change, you know. But to appreciate happiness and what you can do with it without losing sight of that it's impermanent. But that the whole system has this shortcoming. This whole system is locked. It's a wheel. It's locked. It's a closed system. And it's, we're stuck in it. We're stuck in it. We can burn out. We can flip out. We can space out. We can do all sorts of counter-samsaric feeling things. But we're just going somewhere else in the same system. So having, understanding that, again, the takeaway, like with these other ones, is the takeaway is that we should really be determined that it's in the best interests of myself and everyone that loves me and all sentient beings if I disengage. I need to disengage from this life. Having that determination to disengage Renunciation. If we don't have renunciation, uh, I mean, we have Vajrayana, Mahayana, Hinayana. If we don't have renunciation, we can't even call ourselves a Dharma person. We might look like one. Oh, what is it? Walk like a Dharma person, talk like a Dharma person, dress like a Dharma person. But if we don't have renunciation, which is the basis for taking refuge, then we really can't say that we're a Dharma person at all. So to have that praying and doing everything or contemplating in order to be able to disengage is is the most important aspect of a Dharma practice. So we shouldn't get too, what is it, uh, attached to this uh, Mahayana vow to, it's all one sentence, don't, don't cut me off. It, we shouldn't get too attached to this vow to, oh, I will stay in samsara until every sentient being is awakened without, same sentence, without having a completely a pure feeling of renunciation and disengagement with samsara. That's the only way we can stay in samsara is to be disengaged. Otherwise, immediately we're, we're lost. And all those people we love and rely on us and care about, we will never, ever, ever see them again. When this life is over, which comes, which can come at any time, the equivalent of a few of a few days in the bardo, all those people we love and relied on us, and more maybe we've relied on, they become a dim, dimmer and dimmer memory. And then halfway through the bardo, we have zero memory of them, and we'll never think of them or know them or see them again. And we're all going forward into wherever our karma is taking us. That's a bardo. So uh, we should, while we're in this human life, we should understand that to be disengaged and have pure renunciation is the best possible way to benefit oneself and everyone that you are uh, connected with. So that's the fourth point, is the 
contemplating the shortcomings of samsara with the idea of the karma of contemplating the shortcomings will disengage you. It's not like you have to intentionally think up reasons to have renunciation. But if you take a rational look at samsara from the point of view of what the teachings have seen, what the Buddhas and Bodhisattva, girls who have this wisdom, this inner wisdom, from that, you know, from the point of view of the sun, what does the sun see? And we should, uh, taking refuge in the Dharma means, okay, I'm going to study my life from the point of view of what Dharma is saying about my life, because I can't see it all. There's too many shadows in my life to know everything about my life. So I'll apply the teachings. And so this this fourth shortcoming of samsara is really uh, important. And it's only, there's a first point of precious human birth. That's who can, who can think that way. Someone who has this precious human birth, they can safely, I say safely think about the shortcomings of samsara. They can safely think about the impermanence. They can safely think about the claustrophobia of causation. Safely meaning they're not going to become extra depressed or uh, suicidal or, uh, you know, some negative uh, uh, outcomes. Not just think about impermanence, can, can destabilize people, can't it? Back uh, earlier times, they first, oh, first now, just think about a precious human birth. Somebody goes off, uh, seals himself off in a cave and just thinks about precious human birth for two, three months or until they have a real breakthrough. They come out and say, ah, oh, this amazing, it should be quite inflated idea. Then the second thing, oh yeah, but it's impermanent. Now think about impermanence. Oh, okay, then they go back to impermanence. And then they're crying and coming, oh, everything's impermanent. Like my whole world is upside down. Everything, I don't believe in anything. Everything's impermanent. Everything's interconnected. Isn't that it? Well, yeah, but, it's, but there's cause and effect. Oh, you know, everything is organized. and it's, Everything is governed. It's not just impermanence as a random falling apart chaotic display all the time makes you kind of mentally unstable. Oh, there's karma. Oh, okay, think of karma. So like that. That's what I mean by it's, uh, we have a, we're protected. A dharma, chopalame dam churamboche. Chopalame, we say, Tumbalame Sonsu Rinpoche, Chopalame Damchu Rinpoche. Chopalame Damchu Rinpoche means the Chopalame. The unsurpassable protection is the sacred Dharma. Unsurpassable protection. The more you think about Dharma, the more you attune, attune yourself to Dharma, the, the more protection Dharma gives you. You're protected. Protected from uh, going down. Protected from suffering. I say Dharma brings about ongoing happiness and liberation. Two things. Ongoing happiness and liberation. Then liberation means being able to benefit others. Uh, just like a parent, a father, or a baby, uh, looking over children. You know, the father can play along and and you know, kind of goof off and play around with kids, and the kids are like completely lost in their fantasy world. But the mother or the father is is 
doing that to to uh, encourage them to have fun and so forth. Uh, but they also they know like well pretty soon it's going to be like five o'clock and we're going to have to go home. We're going to have to stop at the store. We're going to have to do this. We're going to, you know, they have that scope. We could call it say the wisdom piece, you know. And they also know like we can cut this off at any time because it's just a game, you know. And I'll deal with I'll deal with the fallout, but uh, you know, it's just a game, and I'm having a I'm helping these the children. Like that idea, that's disengaged. That's called renunciation. They don't actually believe that that little sand pile is really a castle you know, that must be protected. And with the little, you know, they don't really believe that. They just pretend that they do. That's a bodhisattva uh, action. Uh, just pretending. Okay, it's four things. I remember that. You know? This uh, uh, precious human birth, this um, great uh, happiness at finally getting what you've yearned for for so long. And impermanence, uh-oh, feel, this feels though it's not stable. Then uh, karma, have confidence that every mental, verbal, and physical act has an effect. So be more vigilant and, and have more faith in karma. And the samsara, the shortcoming of the samsara, then always with an eye towards disengagement, disengaging. And hopes and fears are less. Disengaging, and your effectiveness is greater, almost in proportion to your hope, your hopes and fears diminishing. Then your uh, effectiveness increases effortlessly. This podcast is supported by the generosity and kindness of Chagdagumpa members and donors. If you're interested in becoming a member, making a donation, or if you want to learn more about Chagdagumpa feel free to go to chagdugumpa.org.